from the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas. This is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. As a new TVI years ago, I found my way to the Pass to Literacy website. Only recently realized it has been in the field about as long as I have, and I cannot imagine teaching without it. Scouring the internet for the perfect resource for our students and children can be rough, and it's so much easier to have a one-stop shop like Pass to Literacy. It wasn't until I moved to Texas that I learned it is a collaborative project between TSBVI and the Perkins School for the Blind. Highlighting what makes it special is an employee TSBVI and Perkins happily share, Charlotte Cushman. Many years ago, so around 2010, Perkins was in the process of developing a website focused on literacy, and TSBVI was doing the same thing, and the schools got wind of the fact that the other was doing it, and we had this brilliant idea to work together. (laughs) And of course, I'm completely biased, but I think that the fact that the schools have worked together has been a really wonderful thing for the field. Uh, I think both schools are looked to as as leaders and and by pooling our resources and our and our expertise, I think we've been able to create something that's really bigger than than what either school could have done alone. The mission of Paths to Literacy is really to create and nurture a, an active community of practice that's that's related to all aspects of literacy for students with visual impairments, including students with multiple disabilities or deaf blindness. And our goal is really to share practical strategies and resources, hopefully in a user-friendly way, and and to encourage families to support literacy. I was at a conference like, I don't know, I think eight years ago, and um, we were in this focus group about how our field could be better. And everybody was talking about how everyone goes off and does the same thing on their own, and that there's not enough... Like we're too small to do that. We really need exactly. to, we really need to come together on some of this stuff. You have some really great things on the website is essentially crowdsourced. You know, you get a lot of expertise on there. So who gives you the content or how do you get the ideas? I mean, we always welcome content from the field and and we really believe that everybody has something to share. And new teachers and families are often really shy about sharing their ideas on the site. They think that their ideas aren't new or or maybe they're just kind of lacking confidence. But we find those are some of the best ideas. And as the manager of the site, I always have my ear to the ground. So on, on social media, uh, on listservs, in the old days when we went to conferences, I'd, I'd uh, sort of try to pay attention to what's being talked about in the field. And I, we get a lot of submissions that just come in at randomly. Sometimes uh, teachers recommend each other. You know, gee, I have a friend who wrote something. I think her idea is really cool, something like that. Um, and I, I uh, sometimes they actively solicit things when I know we're kind of short on ideas. Uh, so, for example, we don't have a lot on the site on teaching English language learners. And we don't have a lot on math. Um, other than just really basic ideas. So those would be some examples of where I've really actively been looking for people with good content and and approaching them. 
But, you know, as a manager of the site, I, I always read everything really closely and I work with the authors because we want to make sure that the post really represents best practices. But that doesn't mean that there are never questions. Uh, you know, as you well know, we've got lots of different opinions in our fields. Uh, you know, so, for example, can, can object symbols be standardized? You know, there's a big debate about that and there's not one single right answer or... Uh, can should contracted Braille be stopped, taught from the very beginning, or is there a place for uncontracted Braille? And when should you introduce technology? And should you teach a slate and stylus still? And you know, lots and lots of questions. And and I think it's it's important for paths to literacy to be neutral about these things. That that these are all topics that are open to debate. It's to, to have a forum for information where people can go and look for things, uh, but come up really with their own ideas about what works best for their particular student or or with their own child or in a, in a certain situation. And just really for people to have a critical eye. So I'm really open to, to all ideas that are submitted. And I think there's always something to work with in an idea. and. I guess as a former teacher myself and somebody who's done a lot of teacher training, I try to understand, you know, what's at the heart of the idea that somebody's trying to convey. And then we just work together to make sure it gets explained hopefully as clearly as as we can. You just so succinctly wrapped up a whole bunch of controversial topics. <laughs> like really well. well, you notice how I didn't I actually wrap them up. I just kind of listed them. There's a big difference. That's so, true. But yeah, no, there's a lot to debate in our field for sure. I've been in Texas three years now, but previously I was in the Pacific Northwest and there's almost some regional practices that you yep. see developed. And so I love that you called it a clearinghouse and think <laughs> Thinking of it as a resource center so that wherever you are, whatever the common practice is, and, and you're able to support that. I think it's also important to be humble, what, whoever we are in the field, right? To yeah. know that, that, that there's a reason that certain practices work better in certain situations and, and just to be open to discussing it. Do you have any idea how many people access PASS regularly or, or what the demographics look like? We've had about two and a half million visitors on the site since we started. So that's unique visitors, wow. which is kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, more than 600,000 just in this past year. We have uh, more than 12,000 people who are subscribed to our newsletter. That means they actually went onto the website and signed up and they, they have to open the the newsletter regularly or they'll be purged uh so that's that's kind of a big number and then with social media uh we have another thirty thousand who follow us on pinterest and ten thousand on facebook two thousand on twitter and instagram every month i'd say we get sixty to seventy thousand visitors on the website really kind of depending on the time of year so there's always a dip in the summer uh, when schools are, are aren't in session and and Christmas and the winter holidays also. But the numbers just keep going up. Wow. <laughs> it's also really interesting to see where people come from. So again, I just looked at that before we, we talked and we've had visitors from 223 countries in the past year. And it made me want to go and look and see how many, how many countries are there? Because <laughs> I think that must be pretty darn close to all of them. But, you know, our biggest group, of course, is, is the United States and, and the UK India, Canada, Australia are, are right behind. And 
that makes sense because almost all of our content is in English. So, you know, the majority of our readers are from English speaking countries, but we've had a lot of requests for translation. Um, so we work closely with a, a brand new website in France, for example, and they translated a lot of our articles into French. Um, and this is happening and we some Spanish happening. So, uh, you know, we're really open to that. Um, and I guess, you know, the fact that we have readers from all over the world, uh, including lots for whom English is a second language, it makes it especially important for our ideas to be communicated clearly. Mm. And we try not to use a lot of jargon or buzzwords that people outside the fields or outside this country won't understand. Mm. And, and our audience really represents uh, a, a very wide range of people. Uh, so we've got parents of brand new babies with visual impairments, graduate students, you know, brand new teachers. And of course they're veteran teachers who are just looking for some new ideas. And we have therapists and O&M instructors and, and a lot of special educators, particularly educators of students with significant special needs. So all of this means that we need to try to write and present information in a way that, that really, hopefully anybody can follow what we're saying without making it too overly simplistic for people who are, who are active in the field. Do you have to do a lot of work with the authors to, to get it written in a certain way so that it's accessible to more people? Does that take a lot of time or essentially do a lot of things you get come kind of already written in that way? I do work a lot with the authors and and sometimes it's, it's much more from an editorial perspective. You know, people haven't maybe had a lot of experience writing, but sometimes it's in trying to clarify things. So I'm thinking of an author I'm working with at the moment who wrote an excellent post about uh, CVI or cortical visual impairment, um, but was kind of tossing around terms that I thought not everybody would understand. Uh, specifically, she was talking about um, personal identifiers, which in the field of deaf blindness is is a pretty familiar idea. But again, if you're looking at this for the first mm-hmm. time, that may be a brand new idea. So to try to to flesh out things that that might not be obvious to people who are brand new, but not to make it so obvious that it's going to be boring or insulting or condescending to somebody who, who, who you know, knows the field well. Yeah. That's always the challenge. Why do you think Pass to Literacy is such a well-used resource? Well, I just feel so honored that and really humbled that, that we've become well-known in the fields. Um, it's one fun thing for me is, you know, if I go to a conference and I'm sitting in the back row as a fly on the wall and people start mentioning paths to literacy, I think, <laughs> wow, this is this is so great that it's taken on a life of its own. So I just feel so grateful to, to the people who've told us, you know, over the years that, that they find things that are useful and that they share ideas. So and I think people like having those practical you know, user-friendly ideas that they can do with students or with their children. Everybody's really busy, uh, and it can be helpful to get inspiration from others. And, you know, when I use the word inspiration, I think about the way that I cook, right? So I I love to cook, and I have a lot of cookbooks. Uh, I don't always follow the recipes, but I love to just kind of peruse them and get ideas, and I think paths can be that way for people. I also think that people feel empowered by the fact that that the ideas on the site come from peers, right? It's they're from other families, they're from therapists and teachers, O and M instructors, and and I think that 
because Pasto Literacy tries to offer actual activities and resources, you know, and not not abstract theories. I mean, there's a place for that too. But I think, again, I keep coming back to this word practical. I think people who are busy really appreciate that. One thing we haven't talked about that I think we have to mention is you know, it helps a lot that the site is non-commercial. It's not, you know, it's a collaboration between two known entities. I think TSBVI and Perkins are, are both well known in the field. And that makes a huge difference. You know, Pedestal Literacy is not trying to sell you anything or convert you to a particular product or a particular practice. And I think people trust it as, as a source. And that helps to make it kind of a go-to spot for the field. Uh, and it doesn't hurt that all the content on the site is free <laughs> and you don't need to register or remember a password or anything if you're just going to go have a look. I think most of us appreciate that. I mean, you can't even read an article online anymore without having to skip over 15 advertisements in the middle. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people will submit something where they've created a product mm-hmm. or they have published a book. And I always struggle because I... I want to help people get the word out. That seems like a legitimate use of pastel literacy, but I but I don't want to help somebody turn a bigger profit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what we're trying to do. So, so again, trying to find that balance between um, providing information but not, be, you know, flip it over into being commercial. How would you like to see PASS grow in future years? Or what do you think it looks like in five or ten years down the road? Yeah, that's another great question. I mean, the site has gotten so huge, and there are more than 3,000 pages on it now. And that's, uh, you know, I've been culling, and it's still that big. So it can be really hard for people to find things. I mean, it's hard for me to find things, and I basically know every piece on the site. So I would love to see the content be be curated more closely um, so that people could maybe select a topic and find articles that were arranged in a sequence. So, you know, for example, if you wanted to learn more about early literacy, you know, you could find a place to start with some general tips and then concept development and tips for reading out loud and making story boxes and kind of arranging it into in like a module, something that that you could download or you could work your way through. Um, and I think there's a, there'd be a real value to that. Right now, it's it's the experience is a lot more haphazard when you go on the site. I'd also like to see us do a better job incorporating 21st century technology, mm-hmm. um, so that students with visual impairments are really doing the same kinds of activities as their sighted peers. And that's not been a big focus for us, but I think it's important to try to keep pace with that. Um, people love video demonstrations of actual lessons and it'd be great to add more videos more Mm -hmm. often and you know those could be short talks that a teacher or some kind of vision professional or a parent gives on a particular topic and then with an example of a showing a student or a child actually doing the activity and I guess the other thing is we always need to do more outreach to find people wherever they are and you know this means being actively engaged on social media where we can interact with people, you know, it's not just popping up a Facebook post, but actually having some of these conversations. And it means to continue finding audiences that we know exist. I mean, you mentioned uh, wanting to find out everything you could in the first five years of your child's life. And I think we've been really finding out that we need to do a better job reaching early intervention programs, because I think 
it's absolutely what all families experience. You know, they want that information when their child's young and and before, uh, you know, before they've gotten into a formal program. And and to be able to be out there as a resource known to people, I think might be helpful. Those all sound like fantastic ideas. <laughs> well, well, there's always more to do. There's no question of that. Yeah, then it's and then it's you know figuring out time and funding and all that, but that's no fun to talk about. It's more fun. To no, dream. no. <laughs> God. You know, it's interesting that you brought up 21st century technology because it seems to be a theme in my conversations lately. The discussion around how our students don't get access to tech as early as their peers, you know, whether it's because a TVI is not comfortable teaching it, so it gets pushed off for a while. I mean, I was guilty of that as an early TVI, or just not really knowing what to put in their hands, but they kind of start off at a disadvantage now when their sighted peers are using devices starting at like the age of two. No, exactly. And and I'm also thinking of, of different apps and things. So if you think about boom cards and Flipgrid mm-hmm. and all these things that I, I can't really keep up with, you know, that's what a lot of kids are using in schools now. And so I think TVIs are kind of rushing to figure out, are these accessible? Uh, you know, would they be valuable to use with the with these with our students and and again it's a fine line you want mm-hmm. you want our students to be included wherever possible but uh you know sometimes things are are not accessible and it may not be the best use of a teacher's or a student's time to try to adapt it so trying to figure out what how we could do a better job with that uh, would be wonderful. Well, and it's such a tie-in to literacy. I mean, I, I've seen some of our teachers do some really creative things with early literacy partnered with technology. And so offering more of that on the Pasta Liter- Literacy site makes so much sense. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's amazing. I think the remote instruction that's happened this past year has been a blessing and a curse, obviously uh, many, many, many disadvantages. But I think our students have learned a lot more technical skills because they've had to. So even the very young ones or the or the ones who aren't doing formal academics uh, have been doing fabulous things with technology and uh, different kinds of apps and Pictello and, uh, you know, all different things on the iPad. It's exciting to see how creative teachers have been. Charlotte, it's funny because uh, Pasta Literacy has been around my entire career. That's how <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been. And so I never knew a, I never knew a, feel, a field without it. And so it's so I fascinating. I love hearing that. Yeah, I love hearing that. No, and I mean, that just makes me smile. And just to think that it has become really an established part of the field. Mm -hmm. So may it always be so. I hope uh, long after I'm gone, I hope that it will continue to have a life that's useful and, and continues to grow and change as the field grows and changes. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. If you're wondering who took the lead on Pass to Literacy from TSBVI in the beginning, 
You probably don't know Cyril Miller. If you know Cyril, you likely assumed this project had a lot to do with her. Cyril's innovative leadership has been attributed to many brainchilds in our field, including this one. Luckily, she's still with TSBVI Outreach for her expertise and cameos like these. You know, I just found uh, some emails that were from 2009, October 2009, and uh, Jim Durkle, who was uh, had many roles with TSBVI and outreach, and at that point he was doing a lot of uh, staff development, statewide staff development roles, as well as working with the VI registration and APH materials, lots of different roles. And one of the things we put him to doing was taking materials from Project Slate that Alan, Dr. Alan Koenig had created much earlier. Um, it was one of the first packages for reading instruction for Braille students, probably in the country, included lovely written materials and incredible videos of kids learning to read Braille, beautiful uh, materials. And uh, after Dr. Koenig died, Texas Tech had developed that material on a grant and they gave it to TSBVI and wanted it to be disseminated. So we were trying to get that going. We were working on copyright issues and media formats. We didn't have a lot of expertise. We didn't have our media department back then. so we were kind of fumbling on how to, to move forward with that. And Jim ran into people from Perkins, Betsy McGinnity and, uh, and others, who were working on a website called Scout about literacy for blind and low vision students. And they didn't have a lot of content. They had a lot of uh, web expertise and they had some content, but they needed a broader range. And we dreamed up this idea of collaborating to uh, create a co-branded website, although I didn't know those words at the time. And what I found this morning was a videotape to Bill Darty, who was our superintendent. It was in November, yeah, November 2009, saying, hey, we have this cool idea. We would love to collaborate with Perkins. They've got this website called Scout. They like some of our, some more materials. We've got materials. We don't have websites. What do you think? Um, and he gave us the go-ahead. November 30th, 2009. So that's how this project began. It was uh, Jim Durkle and the materials he had through Slate, as well as some other things from Outreach, and Perkins from their Perkins Scout site. The other thing I found was a, a potential layout, a prototype for what turned into Paths to Literacy. And it's this very simple, it's amazing, because I think Paths now has, well, has thousands, maybe over four or 5,000 pages of content. Um, at that time, we had this little graphic for what it would look like, and I think it had six content areas and five ideas across. It was incredibly simple. So we've come a long way. We started out, we were very excited to have um, 800 followers. I think this was after about a year of it being up. And look where we are now. Red Letter Day for Paths was in uh, 2013, we had just passed 700 registered users. We thought that was extraordinary. (laughs) Pass to Literacy is pumping out new content all the time. 
They even recently featured my son, Eddie, in an article by his teacher, Julie Lemon. To check it out or find resources to meet your needs, go to passtoliteracy.org. From TSBVI Outreach and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.